feast at Jerusalem. Remember, we Jesus off last week uh, with, uh, he was at Cana, and uh, he was um, a blessing and healing of the man uh, in uh, Capernaum, and, and uh, we have uh, him now traveling back south again, the 80 miles through, he goes through Samaria again. I, uh, it doesn't say what happened as he went through Samaria, but don't you imagine that as he came through uh, the village where the Samaritan woman lived at Sychar there that uh, the people were out in force to greet him and uh, thank him for uh, giving them, showing them the light of life and changing their lives. I'm sure that as he traveled back through Samaria, the disciples had a little bit different attitude about uh, the Samaritans than it had coming the other way. But now the, uh, he's heading up, uh, he's heading down south again. He's actually going up as far as the geography is concerned. He's going in upward climb as he heads uh, south uh, to uh, Jerusalem. About 80 miles, there he goes through Samaria. He's entering into Jerusalem from the north this time. And the, one of the most northern gates into the city is called the Sheep Gate. It enters in, there's a portico area there. After you go through the gate, there's a portico area where uh, you can then enter into the temple itself, the temple proper. So it's really close to one of the entrances of the temple. And so uh, we read that uh, the sheep market was there just outside those gates. Um, there's a, an open area. It's outside the, the gates of the city. So the sheep market would have been there. And through the sheep gate, they would go when, they'd, when they would purchase uh, sheep for sacrifices. That They would enter in through the sheep gate and into the... Uh, into the court area of the temple, that would have been the, the way. And this was a season where there were a good number, a, lot, a multitude of people were coming into Jerusalem for these feasts, that one of the feasts of the Jews. We don't uh, know for certain which one it was, never identified in the Gospels which feast that it was, and there's nothing that is definitive on which feast it was, but we do know enough to know that it was one of the feasts where a lot of people gathered together uh, there. And there's two pools there. There's, it's one that's got a divider, kind of a wall between there. Uh, they were pools for purifying, and, and they, were out, they too were outside the, uh, the walls of the actual city, just outside the walls. And, and um, they were called uh, the, the Pool of Bethesda. You've heard of hospitals named Bethesda. And you've heard of Bethesda, Maryland, and you've heard of hospitals with that term in them. And the reason is because Bethesda means house of mercy, house of mercy. So it's called a house because uh, originally as they developed it and as they used it, uh, it was what we would see today is like a healing spa where we might go to a spa to soak in the mineral uh, waters and such. It's something similar to that, but they built a uh, uh, like a portico roof over it in two separate sections and had uh, a place you could get out of the weather. And uh, so and it had the five porches there uh, that were there. Um, it was, uh, of course, that area was buried in rubble when uh, Jerusalem was destroyed, AD 70. The Romans came in and just leveled it, uh, leveled the city down and filled that whole area. It was a lower area, so it's just filled with ruins and rubble of the buildings and covered over for many generations and it was uh, it's been relatively recent times that they have excavated all that out of there and now when you go to Jerusalem to visit when you go on your trip to Jerusalem you're going to be able to be taken around and 
you'll be, uh, you'll come across over a, an open area and you're going to come across and you're going to make a left-hand turn and they're going to point out to you the area of the pools of Bethesda. They've got it all dug back out again. Now, you can see down in there, you'll be up high and you'll be looking down. It would be like if you stood at my house and looked down at our lower part of our area. It's about all the farther away it is, all the lower it is as well. But it's, it's now, it's, it's built in all the, you know, the old um, uh, structures are, are built around it, the old stone structures. But you can see the, you can see the area now of the pool. They've got it back out again. Nothing but some, maybe some brackish water down there now. But uh, as you come around another way and uh, they take you through your tour as you're going through the city and walking about, they're going to bring you in from the other side and you're going to walk into an area where that there are uh, five long stone steps. They're deeper than these. They're... They're probably 16, 18 inches uh, each one, but they go, run all the way along here, probably about 200 feet there of stone, five of them going down into another section of this pool of Bethesda. And then you can see the remnants of the five porches. They're, they're still there. The remnants are still remain. They're going to point those out to you when you go on your journey and, and travel through the old city of, uh, of Jerusalem. And you'll be, you'll be able to, uh, to, when you come to these old stone steps and see the remnants of the pool down there, you'll be able to sit down on one of these steps and imagine yourself as that impotent man waiting for someone to help you get into the pool. You'll uh, enjoy that opportunity when you get there. Uh, so uh, Jesus comes in. He's coming from Samaria. He's, so he's going to be coming down the north road. And he's coming now, finally, seeing the, the city of Jerusalem. I, I drew it on my, uh, my Sunday school class. It's going to show you on the blackboard. I never didn't have time. Uh, Wendy rushed us out of there for, for junior church, so we didn't have time. <laughs> but uh, as you're coming down through, you hit the north gates there. There's two of them uh, there. I think the other one's a fish gate on the other side. But he came down the road, comes most closely to the sheep gate uh, where you'd enter into the actual city. So it's coming down through there. It's the feast days. Throngs are gathering. People are coming. Everybody's on the roads. They're coming uh, for the feast days and uh, that time of uh, celebration, whichever feast it was, the Passover or, uh, you know, Purim or one of the feasts. And so they're there. Along with the people that are coming for the feast, there are a multitude of impotent folk. They're sick and lame and they're blind and they're there's just a throng of them there around the, these pools there. And these, they're all, they're, the, four, the five porches are filled. The porticos are, are filled with people. I mean, you kind of have to, you know, walk carefully, not step on somebody as you're head, heading past there to get into the gates to the city. And Jesus comes upon this scene as he's headed back to Jerusalem uh, for this feast. Comes upon this scene, and, and here's this uh, group of people, but here's one that's been there for 38 years He'd come as a young man, 38 years ago. He's an older man now. He's, uh, you know, pushing 60 now. And he's been there since he's a teenager, waiting for the moving of the waters, waiting for the opportunity to be the first into the pool. He's been put there day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, 38 long years. This paralyzed, impotent man has been in that place. And... They're waiting for an angel. They're waiting for the angel to stir the waters. And um, the uh, idea there is that when the stirring happens, when this upheaval, when this troubling of the waters occurs, the idea there is the first one in is God's going to heal them. And so uh, the angel uh, troubles the water. 
The term angel, of course, uh, is literally translated messenger. And as you see the work of angels in the scriptures, you see over and again their work as messengers. There's a lot uh, that angels are doing in the New Testament era. In the time of the apostles, there's a lot of involvement with angels from the birth of Christ on forward. A lot of things going on there. But at that time, this is what is occurring. And, and uh, the angel, the idea of an angel stirring the water. And I'm thinking of that. I'm thinking that any preacher of the word of God is, uh, you know, the preachers are called angels in the book of Revelation. The seven angels, the seven churches are the seven messengers, the pastors of those churches there. The term, the idea of a, of a messenger, one who's supposed to be getting a message from God and then communicating it to the people. That's the work of a preacher of the Word. And any preacher of the Word is, is uh, able, is supposed to stir the water. And the water, we know the Scriptures tells us that the water of the Word is where the cleansing of the soul is. And so we preachers can stir the water, but only the Lord can heal. You know, and that's what we're talking about here. This Stirring of the water, the work of the angel, was not the important part, you know. It was just the signal that uh, someone was supposed to get in the pool and be healed. And so the stirring of the water of the preachers is, is, uh, is less important than what the Lord does in the, in the equation. And what the Lord does is the eternal work of the, uh, of the uh, healing of the soul and of the spirit and of the body. So uh, that's the situation here. And... Uh, uh, the, the Lord, the healer of souls. Uh, I want to tell you, though, that if you'll step into the pool, if you'll step into the gospel pool, the Lord will heal your soul as well today. The Savior doesn't just see the masses as He's coming. He doesn't just see a multitude. He also sees the individuals. He knows each one's story. He knows all the background of every one of them. And He chooses out this one that's uh, been there the 38 years. There's some that have just been there a week or a few days or maybe came in that day as they have heard the accounts of the possibility of healing that may come if you can get into these uh, medicinal waters or if you can uh, soak in the water or if perchance the Lord chooses you as the first one in to be healed uh, that uh, day. And so there's a lot of people there. But He comes to this one individual, this impotent man, been there 38 and eight years. He says there's a certain man there. I'm glad the, the Lord has that uh, kind of, uh, uh, of relationship, that kind of uh, compassion for not just the masses of Southern California, but every one of you that are here today. The Lord is uh, seeing you as a certain man, a certain woman, a certain young person, a certain boy, a certain girl. Our Lord is looking at you in that same sense that He looked at this man that day and had compassion on him. It says He saw this certain man and He knew, He knew that He'd been a long time in that case. He knew He'd been a long time in that condition and oh, how the Lord uh, uh, desires to be a help to this impotent man. He, he desires that and He asked him that simple question, Wilt thou be made whole? The Lord's been asking that question ever since, and He's asking you that this morning. Wilt thou be made whole, made complete, made fulfilled, made all that God wants you and I to be? He'd been there 38 years. He'd been trying. He'd been trying, and He said, Lord, I would like to be made whole, but I've been trying for 38 years, and when I'm coming, when I'm dragging myself off the porch and into the water, somebody else steps in before me. Always somebody else steps in before me. Never 
Never can get somebody to help me, push me first into the pool. I never have been able to do that. I've been trying for 38 years. I've been trying to get somebody to stay around and be with me and when they see the water to push me in and nobody wants to stay very long. Oh, I've had some that stayed for a day or two or a week even and, and waited but then gave up and gave up and went their way and, and left me here waiting, waiting. But, Lord, I have no man. I have no man when the water troubled to put me into the pool. So he had wanted, he had wanted, he had the desire to be made whole, but had had up to that point no help. He, he'd been, uh, you know, waiting for some man to help him, but there was no help from man. The Bible tells us that vain is the help of man. Sometimes vain is the help of man. And he'd found that to be the case. Vain was the help of man. Someone else always steps in before me. Someone else always gets into the pool before me. Someone else is always more concerned about their own situation than mine. And that is true. Uh, human nature hasn't changed much in the last 2,000 years, has it? Uh, we all tend to be more concerned about our own situation than anybody else's. And that was the case with this individual. Uh, the pool is a, a place where we see he, only one could enter in and, and get any help, only one at a time. But I want to tell you that is not so with the gospel. The pool of the gospel is the, the steps are there and they're wide and they go on endlessly and there's no crowding there. There's no one stepping in over you there and pushing you back. There's no one holding you back from coming and stepping into the gospel, stepping into the truth of God's word, stepping into the grace of God. There's nobody holding you back from that. It's not just one here and one there. It's to whosoever will, let him come, you see. That's what we're talking about. And the Lord never forced his gifts on anybody. So he asked the man, he said, wilt thou be made whole? Are you willing? Do you want to? He's asking you and me the same thing today. Wilt thou be made all that God wants you to be? I'm not going to make you do that. I'm not going to force you to do what you should. I'm not going to drag you into the kingdom of God. I'm not going to force you to serve the Lord in your, uh, in your life. I'm going to allow you to make a choice. And Christians make a choice. You're here if you don't have Christ as your Savior yet. You have the opportunity again today, again today to make a choice. Once more, another time today, you've had the opportunity to make the choice Wilt thou be made whole is the question for you today as well. And so it was that this uh, man desired that. And the, the question that the Lord Jesus asked was, you want to be made whole not just in body, but you want to be whole in every sense of the word that your spirit is whole, that your soul is whole, not just your body. Oh, the least important element of our uh, makeup is our body. And uh, so to be made whole... The, more important areas are our soul and our spirit. So the Lord Jesus asked this individual, do you want to really be made whole? And sir, uh, sir, I, I, need, I need help, but no one can help me. Uh, but I will, I will give you that choice right here and right now, he said. And his question had regard to that, the whole of the man, you know. The evident man desire was there. And now the word of the Lord uh, is a command. He has a question first, wilt thou be made whole? And then he has a command, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. So the command comes after the individual shows his willingness to be made whole. And the same is true of you and I. When we're Willing to be helped to the Lord, the Lord gives us a command. You know what he says? He says, repent, believe, receive. 
That's what he says. Repent. Be willing to be turned from your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Receive Him. Uh, trust Him as your Savior. Receive Him as your Lord. And so He gives us that command too. But I thank God that with the commands that to us may seem difficult or even impossible, uh, which was true of the impotent man, with the, with the uh, command comes also the empowering. This man didn't just empower himself and no man helped him and he didn't get in the pool and the angel hadn't stirred the waters. But this man received strengthening. He was immediately, the Bible says, made whole. And he took up his bed and he walked. He obeyed the commands that our Lord gave to him after the Lord empowered him to do that. So it's all of grace. It's all of the Lord. There's no man work in it, simply responding to what God gives us and is willing to help us with. Thank God for that great truth, that wonderful uh, fact that, that we don't have to go out and figure out and, and well it up within us and, and generate it within ourselves, that the Spirit of God does all that, all that impossible stuff. <laughs> he does that and gives us the ability to respond to His Word. He's given you that ability to respond to His Word today if you will, uh, if you will simply say yes. If you'll simply answer that question in the affirmative, uh, affirmative when the Lord says, Wilt thou be made whole? His command empowered them. Now, once you're made whole, you can do the things that you know that God wants you to do. Once you're made whole, you can love like you couldn't love before. Once you're made whole, you can be a giver rather than just a taker in this world. Once you're made whole, you can be willing to surrender to the will of God instead of, uh, instead of cherishing your own will and your own desires in life. You can be able to surrender. You're, before you're made whole, you're thinking, I can never do that. I can't do that. I can't t turn the steering wheel of life over to somebody else. I, I just can't do that. But you can once, once you're made whole. Uh, once you realize that you're, you're, uh, the Holy Spirit will do all that you can't do, He'll give you the ability to do what this man did, to go and tell others. I mean, he, he didn't waste any time. He was telling others what Jesus had done for him. He told this man to walk, and He tells us to move forward as well. He tells us to walk. The walk of the Christian is, is a forward movement, moving forward, onward, upward, and He wants you as a child of God to be on the move as well, to be walking, following Him. Are uh, you following Him today? And uh, do you need to recognize the command that God gave you to do that and to begin to respond to it today? Woody Hayes was a longtime coach at uh, Ohio State uh, back in the day, and, and um, he was um, led the team to well over 200 victories in his 28-year career. Uh, he didn't like the forward pass very much, especially early on. I mean, he used it later. Um, he used it later in his uh, career, but he didn't like the forward pass very much at all. And someone got there and asked him uh, why he didn't do that, why he seldom used the forward pass on his teams. And he said this. He said there's three things that can happen when you pass the football, and two of them are bad. <laughs> so, so that's why he didn't use the forward pass very much, you know. Uh, two of them are bad, but I want to tell you that Woody Hayes got it done. He, uh, he was, uh, led his team to, I think, 13, uh, uh, 13 national championships and uh, many, many victories over 
the years, and he was an individual that was able to get his team to the goal that uh, that, that the purpose was uh, all about. And so, moving the ball forward is what uh, you know his simple philosophy was. We just got to move the ball forward to the goal. Got to get the ball over the goal line. And so, moving the ball forward. And you know, you as a Christian have that same simple. Uh, objective. You need to move your life forward in the direction that God wants you to be moving it. And it isn't going to happen by accident. It isn't going to happen by osmosis. It's going to happen with purpose when the Lord says to you and me, wilt thou be made what God, all God wants you to be? And you say, yes, I want to, Lord. I desire to, but I uh, need you to do that for me and through me. So it is with this man. Now there's evidence that his condition is now whole, that he's not just whole in body, but that he is whole in spirit and soul as well. There's some evidence of that because we see uh, that he walked, he rose, he took up his bed. Well, he knew it was the Sabbath day and he knew that it was, you know, a very grievous thing to break the law of the traditions of the Jewish leadership by carrying a burden on the Sabbath day. He understood that. He understood that the Pharisees had made it very clear anybody caught doing this is in for severe penalties, uh, excommunication from the temple and all kinds of other uh, things that would ostracize you from the society if you uh, wantonly broke the Sabbath law. And so it was uh, uh, that he recognized this and yet he disregarded that and he not only disregarded it, he did not, uh, he did not make... Uh, he, he did not make any bones about it. He puts the bedroll up, and, and what it was with the poor folks was nothing really more than a quilt or a mat of some sort that they would roll out and lay down on. And so he just rolled that thing up, and he put it on his shoulder, and he heads out. But he didn't slink away, and he didn't go and find a place to hide. He didn't say, I hope nobody sees me doing this. And he didn't put it under his coat and uh, slip away quietly. He put it on his shoulder, and he walks right through the, the uh, sheep gate, walks into the portico of the temple, walks into the courtyard of the temple. He's carrying this load on his shoulders. He's, uh, you know, the Jewish leadership is appalled at this. They're, they're dumbfounded. They're mortified. They're apoplectic at what they see there. This individual coming in, carrying this on his shoulder. Yeah, he's been healed and all that, but, but look what he's doing. You know, look what he's doing. And so uh, they, they can't believe it. They can't, uh, they can't, uh, re- they can't even... Uh, uh, comprehend that someone would have that kind of audacity to do such a thing as that. So into the temple he goes, and that tells me something about this man's condition. Not just physically healed, but spiritually and, uh, uh, and in his soul, his emotions. His desire right now is to get into the temple, and I believe that his desire was this. I need to go thank God for what he's done for me. And that's what you and I need to recognize here in this, that he's, he's not cowed at all by the threatening tones of the religious leaders who confront him. He's not, he's not concerned at all what they have to say. Uh, he's, he's not letting tradition uh, and traditionalists dominate here. He's letting the word of the Lord dominate here. The rabbis there, the Jewish leaders and those involved in the accusations against him and wanting to know who told you to do this, <laughs> That crowd there, they're, they're there. All they can see is the burden on his shoulder. They can't even rejoice over the fact that this man they know has been there every day for 38 years waiting for healing is walking about 
They can't even rejoice over that. They can't even see that because their focus is only on, he's broken one of our laws, you know. And indeed, they were, they were his, uh, they were the Pharisees' laws. They weren't God's laws. The Sabbath, Jesus corrected them. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, you know. And so uh, there they were in that uh, situation, and they're uh, screaming at him about what he's doing, and he doesn't have anything to say to them in response. He doesn't drop the, the burden, and he doesn't say, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, and, and it's his fault. This guy told me, and it's his fault. He didn't say that. He said, no. He, he could only speak of the Lord. He said, he said, the one that made me whole. He didn't say, some guy did this. Some guy told me to do this. He said, the one that made me whole. He told me to carry the burden out and put it on my shoulder. And so um, he gives a testimony there in the temple. He's not afraid of religion anymore. He's not, uh, uh, you know, bowing to religious traditionalism anymore. He's committed himself to, uh, to glorifying the Lord. And he's there in the temple of God uh, offering thanks and praise to God for healing him. That's the evidence that this man is certainly made whole. Now, Jesus finds him there in the temple. In verse 14, the Bible says that Jesus uh, came upon him there. There he was, and he uh, confronted him there. And he, he then was aware of who Jesus was. And so the first thing that happens when, he be, when it becomes known to the impotent man who it was that healed him, because he didn't know his name before, he didn't know who it was. When, it became, uh, when he was made known to the impotent man, the first thing the impotent man wants to do, he wants to go back to these leaders and tell them who it was. So he wants to make sure they know it was Jesus that healed him. You know? And so here's a man that's not uh, cowed, not afraid of his testimony, not timid, not thinking, I hope nobody asks me uh, about what I believe, and not uh, you know, trying to hide his Christianity. He's, he's all in. You know? He's got it. He understands it. And Jesus uh, gives him an admonition when he comes to him in the temple there. He says this. He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And by this, he indicated something very serious to this individual. 38 years he'd been in that condition. It happened when he was a young man, probably a teenager. Whatever it was he did, some sin that he did resulted in his condition being what it was. And I don't know what that's... Sin was because we're not told. But he says, go and sin no more lest the worst thing happen to thee. So Jesus makes that connection very clear that the situation he was in was resultant from the way he was living before he became paralyzed. And that is a very uh, a good lesson for us to think on this morning as we think about that. The things that we do, I mean, we like to think, we all are that way too. We all like to think that things just happen to us, good things happen to us, bad things happen to us, and God's, you know, in it in some sense of the word, but really it's not our fault that, you know, any, if anything bad happens to us, it can't be, it can't possibly be our fault, you know. It's got to be just circumstances or just the way things are, you know. But uh, oftentimes I think we dismiss things that really are our fault, that uh, really are things that we have the consequences now of, we're living with the consequences now of things that we have done in the past, and we don't like to admit that, we don't even like to think about that, 
Uh, we'd rather think, well, you know, it's just the way it is, and, you know, bad things always happen to me, and now I'm shot by a girl, that kind of an attitude, you know. Uh, uh, you know that's, the, that's the way we'd like to think about it, but uh, we really need to think seriously, like this man did. I don't know how many times he'd even thought about what brought him to the place that he was, but Jesus said, now go and don't do that anymore. Don't sin. Don't uh, get back into the way of life you were in before. You're made whole. Now, now uh, take advantage of that blessing that I've blessed you with and live for the Lord, not, not for yourself anymore. That's good advice. That's good counsel from the Lord to go and sin no more. When God heals us, when God restores the marriage, when God restores the family, when God renews relationships with uh, uh, our children, our parents, our grandparents, when God helps us pass a very grievous time in our life, uh, a, a very difficult time, when God heals us and when God strengthens us and brings back our, our bodily strength again from uh, the, the sick bed, when all these things occur, we need to just say, Lord, now help me to go forward uh, completely whole, following your will, fully in, uh, in, all in with what, you, with what you are to me and help me in that way. So that's what he's, he is uh, emphasizing here. We just need to do this. We need to really take seriously, take serious heed to God's word and respond to God's word. That's what we need to do. So uh, as we draw this thing to a close, expect that there's going to be criticisms like this guy had. Expect there's going to be criticisms from religion, from politics, from culture. Expect there will be criticism when you stand up for Jesus, when you take up and do what he told you to do, when, when you do that. Expect that to, to, to take place. You know, I'm thrilled with the fact that every time you see, or oftentimes when you see Jesus doing healing miracles, he's doing it on the Sabbath day. He's just, you know, digging those Pharisees, you know, and just giving them a stick, you know. Sabbath day. I mean, he had the other six days to heal, but very often he did on the Sabbath day, and he did it near the temple or in the temple, you know, and it just grieved those uh, poor traditionalist Pharisees so much. But he's teaching them to get off of false uh, notions about religion and tr traditionalism and come to the truth. It's, it's truth over traditionalism is what he's emphasized for them there, and a lot of them uh, got it, you know, they understood it. But uh, there will be criticisms, and you'll face those things, but you just uh, focus on the fact of speaking uh, of the Lord who made you whole, regardless of what the criticisms are. And then do what this man did. Do what this man did. He, first thing we see him, he's found in the house of the Lord, and he wants to be there. You and, I, you and I are here this morning, and tonight, you had the opportunity to be back tonight at 5 o'clock, and Wednesday night in the 7 o'clock service, and when the doors are open, if God gives you the, uh, uh, the grace to do it, be here, you know, and He will give you the grace to do it. Uh, I realize that not everyone can make every service, but it'd be wonderful if, you could, if, we, if we could all do more than we do uh, there, and that's what this guy did. He said, I, I, don't, go I don't even want to go home. I don't want to go anywhere else. I'm going to head right for the temple. I'm going to the house of the Lord. I'm going to go there, thank the Lord for what he's blessed me with. And so it was. We ought to emulate that. We ought to heed what Jesus said about obeying his word there, you know. He said, uh, he told him, and he did it. We ought to do what he did. We ought to do what the man did. When Jesus says something, we just do it, you know. We do it. And immediately God gives us the empowering to do that. Then we ought to do what this man did as well. We ought to go out and tell others that Jesus made us whole. We ought to do that. Something else we should do that Jesus didn't tell this man to do. He didn't directly command this man to do this, but, but this man made a point. He said, uh, he said uh, 
I need someone, I needed someone to help me get in the pool, but I couldn't ever find anybody to do that. And that to me is an admonition to you and I to just say, let's try helping somebody else get into the pool of the gospel. Let's try helping somebody else instead of just wanting to step down there first and get God's blessing in our own life. Let's think about how can I help someone else, an impotent man, an impotent person, a person paralyzed in sin, how can I kind of help them get in the gospel pool, you know? What can I do to, to you know, push them along and to uh, get them to uh, the blessing and the benefits of being made whole? Our Lord will help us to do that if we'll look for those opportunities. And certainly they're there. There's people all around us that are there on the edge and would like to be helped, but, uh, but they found no man to help them, no man to help them. So let's ask God to help us be that helper of someone into the, into the gospel of grace. Let's stand together and give you an invitation. If you as a Christian need to respond today, you come and, and do business with the Lord. Maybe you're here and you need to uh, follow the Lord in believer's baptism since you've been saved but uh, haven't, haven't taken that step yet. Let me encourage you to take that step of obedience to the Lord. He's telling you to. And so let's just go, uh, let's go ahead and get, get it done. Uh, and maybe you're here and you haven't come to know Christ in a, in your, as your personal Savior yet. He's come to you and he knows you as a certain man. He knows you as a certain woman, a certain young person, and he's saying right now, wilt thou be made whole? And you come, you come as, as uh, we give an invitation. We're going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to sing 541. Only trust him, 541. And we'll sing it uh, as an invitation hymn. And if you will respond, you come on ahead. And if it's a man comes and, and needs uh, a man to pray with him, talk with him, we'll do that. If the lady comes, we'll have a lady They'll be here waiting to, to, to pray with you. And so um, whatever your need is. Father, we ask your blessing at the invitation. We pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be responsive to thy word and obedient to thy word. Lord, we would be made whole. We want to be made whole in every sense of the word, body, soul, spirit. Well, Father, we pray that you'd help us to realize what's really important is the soul and the spirit. And may we be made whole in that sense. And so, God, we pray your blessing on the invitation time. If you're causing us to respond at the altar, that you would show us. If there are those here that don't know you as their Savior, that they would come and be saved today. Maybe those that need to follow you in obedience in the baptism since they've been saved, I pray that they would respond and, uh, and submit themselves for believer's baptism. Lord, we pray your will to be done now in the, uh, in the invitation in time. In Jesus' name, amen. 541, as we sing, will you come? Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord.